I'm Dorothy Wickenden. On today's Politics and More podcast, The New Yorker's Patrick Radden Keefe talks with television producer and editor Jonathan Braun. Braun discusses his time working on NBC's The Apprentice and how that show helped shape the image of Donald Trump. There have been a lot of names attached to the rise of Donald Trump. Roy Cohn comes to mind, or Roger Stone, Steve Bannon. But the most influential figure on the 45th president has quite likely been a guy named Mark Burnett. And if you don't know that name, you're probably familiar with his work. Burnett is the English-born TV producer who helped bring reality TV into our lives, producing Survivor, The Voice, Shark Tank, and many other programs, including The Apprentice. It's Burnett's work on The Apprentice that conceivably changed the world. Staff writer Patrick Radden Keefe recently profiled Mark Burnett, and he wrote in depth about The Apprentice and its impact on Donald Trump, on how America saw Donald Trump and how Donald Trump saw himself. Patrick, in your piece, you write about a moment in 2016, and Jimmy Kimmel was hosting the Emmys, and this was right before the election. And Kimmel did something which at that time was pretty unorthodox. He called out Mark Burnett, a name most people didn't know, who was sitting in the audience, and he called him out for creating Donald Trump. Here's a clip of that. Many have asked, who is to blame for Donald Trump, the Donald Trump phenomenon? And I'll tell you who, because he's sitting right there. That's right, that guy. (laughs) Mark Burnett, the man who brought us Celebrity Apprentice. Thanks to Mark Burnett. We don't have to watch reality shows anymore because we're living in one. Thank you, Mark. I'm going on the record right now. He's responsible. If Donald Trump gets elected and he builds that wall, the first person we're throwing over it is Mark Burnett. Is Jimmy Kimmel right? Did Mark Burnett create Donald Trump? I think he is. Um, I mean, look, Trump created Trump. There was a Trump persona that uh, the Donald Trump invented for himself long before the show. But I interviewed a whole bunch of people who worked on The Apprentice over the years. And what they told me was he was kind of a punchline in the tabloids. He was a kind of joke he was, figure. He absolutely and was local. a joke. And local. Yes. And so what the folks who worked on the show said was that was the guy who we found. And our whole job was to reinvent him as this master of the universe who's always – Uh, you know, riding around Manhattan in helicopters and broadcast that to tens of millions of people across the country. Now, tell us a little bit about Mark Burnett. He was born in England, was he not? Yeah. So he grew up uh, in East London watching uh, Bonanza and other American TV shows. So how did he get into TV himself? He ends up coming to Los Angeles in the early 80s. And by his own admission, he starts working almost immediately without a green card. And... um, After working a few different jobs— So just to be clear here, he's an illegal, as they say. He has certainly uh, in the the Trump administration definition. Yeah, Mark Burnett would be—you know, could be sent home today. Um, So he comes out, he starts working various jobs, but eventually finds his way into the very early days of reality TV. And from there, he goes on to uh, have a tremendous success, his first really huge success with the show Survivor. The winner of the first Survivor competition— is Rich. Congratulations, Rich. So after Survivor, 
Burnett pitches The Apprentice, and he plucks Donald Trump out of the tabloids, puts him on the show, and it all turns out to be incredibly successful for both of them. What was the relationship, personally, between Burnett and Donald Trump like? It was fascinating. They were very tight and remain very close to this day. Uh, Burnett loves to tell people that his one of his two sons was the ring bearer when Trump married Melania um, at Mar-a-Lago. And it's interesting, though, in those early days because Burnett is a guy who, to the extent that he had a belief system back then, it seems to have been very shaped by the kind of culture of American self-help. Um, How do you mean? And, well, the kind of, you know, he really believed, he actually said at one point, you know, there's a, there's a, a few things that Americans really believe in. You know, they'll they'll pay to figure out how to grow hair. They'll pay to have sex. And they'll pay to have somebody tell them how to get rich. <laughs> and it's this weird thing, which I think he shares with Trump, where he's both kind of really cynical about how gullible Americans are, but also really excited about how you can sell them stuff. So how did he and the staff around him, how did they go about creating this character on television called Donald Trump? So you talk to people who worked on the show and they'll say, God, you know, we he was such a hustler. We When we first got started, we needed, we were looking for a studio space where we could have the boardroom and we propose a place in Chelsea and we propose a place downtown and, and Trump keeps vetoing everything. We can't figure out why. And then finally he says, well, you know, as it just so happens, I have an empty floor in Trump Tower, he which I, the could, rent I could lease to you at a reasonable <laughs> rate. And then they, they agree that they're going to do that and they have to furnish the place. And so this is what they experienced. They told me we walked through the offices. We saw chipped furniture. You really saw the kind of, um, you know, somebody described it as kind of an empire in decline at that point. And their whole job was to make it seem slick, to make Trump seem like he was on the ascendant. Uh, They would film these very dramatic entrances for him all the time with dramatic music. And he would kind of stride out and they made him seem very decisive as though he was a guy with unimpeachable judgment. One of the things that Trump was known for before The Apprentice was not only how much money he had made, but how much money he had lost, the bankruptcies and all the rest. Now, The Apprentice recasts him as this wildly successful tycoon. How did that affect public perception of of Donald Trump? Did it work? It did. And it, it really affected it dramatically. If you go back, as I did, to the interviews that Trump did just before The Apprentice and then just after it starts coming out, you see that even he is kind of surprised. I found this quote where he said, um, this is right after the show aired, he said, you know, uh, people like me now and they, they think I'm great, whereas before they thought I was a bit of an ogre. Even by his own admission, he had become something of a punchline. So he would tell a story that, that you know, page six in the New York Post, they don't buy that story anymore. But suddenly he's on NBC on national TV with tens of millions of people and they bought it. But it wasn't always so easy. About 13 years ago, I was seriously in trouble. I was billions of dollars in debt. But I fought back, and I won. Big league. I used my brain. I used my negotiating skills. You actually spoke to someone who was intimately involved in the production of The Apprentice. Who is he, and what did he do? So I spoke to a guy named Jonathan Braun, who had a long history with Burnett, actually going back as far as Eco Challenge. He'd worked on Survivor, and then he was one of the first people in on The Apprentice. And Braun was the supervising editor over the first six seasons of The Apprentice. The show was an immediate hit, you know, which supported Trump's ballooned ego um, because the numbers were good, not ever as good as he said they were, but 
They were very good. So you sign on to The Apprentice at a point where you don't know who the host is going to be, but you know it's a business show. And then you find out the host is Donald Trump. What were your impressions of Trump at the time? My impression of Donald Trump at the time, um, and again, this is 2004, 2003, I think, is when we shot it. Um, he had just come out of, I don't know how many bankruptcies. Um, his reputation had sunk quite low. You know, he was known amongst me and my friends and my peers and everybody that I had talked to as kind of an oddball celebrity for, for being a loser, for uh, building a, a, a tall building but not being able to rent it out. Tell me, how would you describe the role of an editor in a reality TV show? The um, simple answer is that we scour through hours and hours of material that's shot and look for stories that we can relate to the theme of the show. Um, we showed everything that happened the way it happened. But, you know, like anything, you, you know, um, you can't show the entire 300 or 400 hours. You have to show the representative portions of it. And, yeah, there are, there are techniques that we use to enhance that. For example, the first day of shooting was individually shooting every contestant leaving as if they've been fired. Is that right? So, yeah, the very first thing we, they shot was people leaving the front of the building with their rolling suitcase in the suit, you know, that they would wear. They all have to as, enact you know. their own death before they even get started. <laughs> yeah, because you just didn't know who it was going to be. Amazing. And can you tell me just a little bit about the ways in which, um, in terms of the creation of the Trump persona, uh -huh. the things that the show did to make him out to be this master of the universe? Well, the famous one is that you know that he's uh, he can make decisions that he can you know make sober thoughtful decisions you know that seem like they were actually thought out <laughs> but i got to tell you I, I don't know that they were he reacted a lot very instinctually to things um he didn't always make sense um we reverse engineered the show in that you know we could never count on donald making what would seem like a logical choice in who the winner and loser would be. So we would sometimes have to go back after he would choose which one won and which one lost, and we'd have to amp up or, or accentuate more the basis for that decision. Right. Um, we had to kind of present him in the best light possible. You know, editors go through and make sure you take out people's ums, ahs, and false starts and things like that. You do that with people, you know, if they say something dumb. You don't show that part, you know. If majority of what they're saying is pretty smart or fits what the story is, you know, you keep that part and you get rid of the part that doesn't follow that. And I, I think it's super fascinating and very um, gratifying and validating is that this is what the White House has to do with Trump. You know, you can watch him any day of the week when he's live in front of, a, you know, a press group and he'll just start rambling on about something. Most of the time, he doesn't even make sense. But he will. But when he does find something he wants to say, he'll say it five or six times over and over again, but slightly differently. And if you hear it all together, unedited, it's like, what? 
<laughs> but, you know, when we would cut it down to the salient parts or when the news media, you know, pulls out a bite or pulls out a clip, you know, it kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, people get oh, that's behind fascinating. It. So you think – so when you watch him today, you feel as though the news media, weirdly enough – ends up doing exactly what you and your colleagues used to do, which is pulling out <laughs> yeah. the one salient soundbite from the kind of... Absolutely. The the whole maw of free association. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, it's a, uh, it's a technique that we all use in whatever communications media we're in. Um, you know, you need to present the most clear argument for something. But somebody who is a good speaker, a good orator, can say it without stumbling, without backing up and reversing himself and saying something crazy. I think that's part of the reason why we have these two completely different ecospheres of people who say, no, what he's saying makes total sense. And other people saying, but the, it, what he's saying is completely crazy or is completely wrong or bad. Because you can pull whatever you want from there. You can pull the good one, the one where it sounds like he makes sense, or you can pull the one that, you know, that doesn't. Yeah. I, I spoke to you and I spoke to others who were involved in the show. Yeah. And a number of people told me, yeah, you know, it was all a little bit tongue-in-cheek. So yeah. I went back and I watched a bunch of episodes. Right. And I just, I didn't see it. I didn't see the wink. Yes, obviously it was not something that we overtly did. We didn't uh, parody Don, Donald Trump. So you can't, you know, you can't be, you know, you can sort of sneak a few things in. Well, can you give an example? Yeah. I mean, the theme song itself was a kind of um, disco funk, kind of like uh, New York. Money, 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 yeah. money. And it was, I mean, that in and of itself was funny. I mean, because, you know, uh, the song itself kind of puts down the idea of having a lot of money is going to make you happy. And we would use that kind of music, especially when Donald would show up. Um, but it's interesting you should mention his entrances because, mm -hmm. so, you know, 2015, Trump announces his candidacy for president. And yeah. he does it in the atrium at Trump Tower, and he, he starts out at the top of that gold escalator, and he rides down, actually kind of facing out, and there's all these people standing around watching him. And I wonder, I mean, you've surely seen that footage. Did it remind you of anything? Absolutely. You know, we use that exact type of footage in the show many times when he would – if he were to um, – assign a task. He would, you know, gather all both teams together and say, okay, here's your task. Your task is going to do this or do that. And his entrances, um, they were designed, you know, whether it was coming in through closed doors and, or coming in on a helicopter, or in this case, you know, if it was done inside the, the Trump Tower of him coming down the escalator. Good morning. Morning, Mr. Trump. Morning. morning. We're in the lobby of Trump Tower. It's big. I think big. I want you to think big, too. That's Jonathan Braun, who is the supervising editor on The Apprentice. We heard a clip of Donald Trump descending the golden escalator in season two of The Apprentice in a shot that's reminiscent, to say the least, of Trump's descent on that escalator when he announced his 2016 campaign. 
Braun spoke with The New Yorker's Patrick Keefe. Now, Patrick, we tend to think of Hollywood dominated by left-leaning people, liberals. The people who worked on The Apprentice are from that very same world. Did they feel bad about the role they might have played in Trump's rise to power? Yeah, so the first thing to understand is that the people who are involved with that show, with the big exception of Mark Burnett, tend not to like Donald Trump. They didn't like him when they were making the show. Why not? Uh, because he was a... He could turn on... What I kept hearing was he was somebody who uh, could turn on the charm when he felt as though it behooved him to do so, but was generally not a, a likable person to work with and was kind of increasingly ridiculous with every passing year. He would often suggest that he was going to run for president. Even when he announced in 2015... All of the people who are involved in The Apprentice at that point privately say, oh, this isn't going to – this will play itself out pretty quickly. Donald will be back to a point where – Much of the country thought that. They did, but to a point where they were actively casting the next season of The Apprentice, even as Donald Trump was running for president, because they all felt as though, look, at a certain point, he's going to come back and then we'll just go right back into business, and we, we don't want to not have a cast at that stage. Why didn't Mark Burnett want to talk to you? That's a good question. He does continue to talk to journalists to promote his shows. He won't answer questions about Trump. And to me, this is really interesting, because I think this is a guy who's, who's, who's uh, in a futile race, you know, with his own with his own legacy. He's trying to kind of run away from his own legacy. Um, he doesn't want to address it. He'd rather just keep focusing on the shows. But the reality is uh, he's still close with Trump. They still talk. He was involved in helping produce the inauguration. And, you know, I think the first line of this guy's obituary is going to be that he helped put Donald Trump into the White House. I, you can run from that, but I don't think you can hide. Patrick, thank you so much. Thank you. Patrick Radden Keefe is a staff writer, and you can find his article about Mark Burnett and the rise of Donald Trump at NewYorker.com. <laughs>